Hi, I'm Mickey Lowe. Hi, I'm Bishop Todd. And welcome, welcome to, to the, the C4SO, C4SO podcast. podcast. Today, I feel like, is a really special day because we get to sit down with Vanya Gomez. Do you guys go way back? Well, yeah, I at least met her when she was probably a mid-teenager or something from being at something that Tony Barron and her dad would yeah. have. But, oh, yeah. In so my cool. heart, Mickey, I hold this as my Latina podcast this where is... I'm surrounded with yes. these two lovely uh, Latina colleagues of mine. It's really yes. fun. Yes, this is the Latina episode. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Vanya Gomez, is she? she's so excited to help bridge language gaps that exist between the Hispanic church and the training opportunities available to them. And she likes to say that she lives in the in-between as she can easily identify with people from all walks of life and help make connections needed to excel together. So her passion is to lean into both her Mexican and American identity and, and sort of the tension that that can create for you know those of us who are Latinos, Latinas living in the States. And she really uses that as a tool to help bridge together gaps in cultures and between marginalized people. And, and her heart is just so evident for this work that she does. Uh, so it was such a lovely time getting to hear about her call to ministry. And she's currently in the ordination process. So We'd love to see that. We'd love to see more Latinas in, as clergy people, right, Bishop Todd? Amen. Yeah, so we are so grateful for her and the work that she does. And we just cannot wait to present to you this wonderful conversation with our friend, Vania Gomez. So, Vanya Gomez, how great to see you today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Am I right that I've, like, at least seen you since you were a really young lady because of, I feel like I was at your parents' house or you were with your dad somewhere where I saw you. I feel like you were a child. I'm sure you weren't a child, but <laughs> oh. you were probably a teenager or something. Yeah, a teenager, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm around a lot of places, I've been told. <laughs> yeah, I remember being a brand new Anglican, and I was somewhere with Tony Barron and your dad. It was probably like 2008. Yeah. Here. You go way back. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. We're like best buddies way back. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. All right. So, Vanya, we like to open with some fun questions. So, tell us, like inquiring minds want to know, mm-hmm. what is something that you're secretly good at that no one else knows about? Man, I don't keep a lot of secrets, so it was really hard for me to. Um, I just, I just like to share the things that I'm good at. Um, so I, I like asked around, and I was like, "What's something you were surprised?" So the most common answer that I got was that I can preach simultaneously in two languages. So like, whoa. Um, English, and then I'll translate for myself into Spanish. And people ah, cool. like, are very surprised by that. Even though I grew up, that was normal. Well, that's going to make you some sort of a hero, don't you I know. think? That's Nikki? very impressive. In, in Hispanic Heritage Month, man, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, so now every time I preach at Restoration Abbey, um, I always do it bilingually. And so, okay. yeah. <laughs> that's great. Very cool. All right, so other side of the coin. What is something you're embarrassingly bad at that you wish you were good at? Like for me, that would be dancing. I am really bad at like organizing 
Oh. Um, so like I buy things to like organize drawers or organize cabinets and then yeah. it like, I take everything out and then I'm just stop being motivated. Yeah. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I, I'm no Marie Kondo. Like mm-hmm. I, it's I just that. not going to be organized <laughs> and that has to be the way it is. Oh, well. <laughs> That's, That's great. awesome. Vanya, we're so excited to have you on today because this is a part of our Hispanic Heritage Month series. Mm-hmm. So why don't we start by having you just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? So I can't deny that I have Hispanic heritage as I went from Garcia Moret to Gomez. So I also married <laughs> awesome. into, yeah. into it. Um, I was born in San Diego where I currently live and we moved around to a couple different cities, lived in Tijuana, Mexico for a while, and then grew up most of my childhood in Phoenix, Arizona. And then after that, moved back to San Diego when I was 15. My mom is Mexican, born and raised in Tijuana, Mexico. My dad is a missionary kid. His mom has a very interesting story. She's born in Panama, but has family from Cuba, Spain. And my grandfather, he was from Mexico. So my dad says he's a little bit of a mutt because he has all sorts of backgrounds. And yeah, so I grew up in a household where depending on where we lived, we in the home, we would speak the language that we would not speak outside of the home. So when we lived Ah, in Mexico, Mm -hmm. we would only speak English. And when we Mm. lived here in the States, we would only speak Spanish at home. So Mm. that allowed me to be able to be fully bilingual, even up to to today. That that's really cool. And and that's a gift too. I mean, it, my family was a very similar way. So at home, I was only allowed to speak Spanish. So mm-hmm. I think my language was really preserved through that because my dad wanted to practice English with me mm-hmm. and my mom would tell him no. She'll speak English everywhere <laughs> else, but at home we speak Spanish. So I'm grateful for that. Yeah, and we have the same rule with our kids now. I have t- uh two mm-hmm. kids, Matthias who's almost 7 and Lucia who's 4. And at home, my daughter will correct my husband and I, if we ever speak English, she'll say, okay, solo español en la casa, like only Spanish at home. Yeah. And we're like, you're right. You're right. It's a rule for everybody. I love it. I love it. That's wonderful. In my no, house, my- it was only good English, not bad English. Because <laughs> no, no, we, no bad bad <laughs> we didn't have the gift that you guys have. Man, <laughs> that is so funny. So, Vanya, why don't you tell us some more about, you know, you mentioned preaching at Restoration Abbey. Tell us more about your role there and then maybe some of the work that you do at the Fuller Center and then how it all connects to C4SO because we're all in the C4SO family. Yeah. So I grew up in a ministry family. My um, grandfather was kind of like the Billy Graham of Latin America. Like he was very well-known evangelist and grew up not only hearing his story, but seeing his ministry. My dad, both of my parents are ordained. But when we were in Phoenix, we were at a church that Dan Scott, um, Bishop Todd, I think you know who he is. Uh, He was pastoring. And so that's how kind of we got into the Anglican world, thanks to him. I wanted nothing to do with ministry because I knew exactly what it meant. And so I ended up in ministry anyway. And uh, (laughs) at Restoration Abbey, my current role is pastor of early formation. 
So that's birth through high school graduation Mm -hmm. and walking alongside families. And really the goal and the focus is to equip parents to be the primary spiritual formation uh, leaders of their children. But I get to work with the kids while we help equip those parents. And I love that. I was just talking to the parents yesterday in a parent meeting that it just gets under my skin when I hear people say like, children are the future of the church. And I'm like, no, children are the church now. And we need to involve them now. And so Mm -hmm. being able to just kind of instill that and make sure that we have practices like that at the church, it gets me really excited to be able to have the opportunity to really create an intergenerational culture within a church. And then I work at the Fuller Center for Spiritual Formation. And my current role since my former boss left. Um, yeah, we, what a boss. I know, what a guy. I know. <laughs> so should, we I, just let, should we just let this hang in the air like we're a, <laughs> you know, like a, a talk radio show I know. and just I know. let Any. it hang? Yeah, or should we let you name <laughs> this boss? Yeah, so <laughs> I originally went in as executive assistant for Brian Wallace. Yeah. Uh, but he decided to move into a different role, which I said, I guess we're not getting rid of each other anyway. So yeah. <laughs> currently my title is partner success manager. Okay. But what's really cool about my role is I kind of, it's like all of my life coming together in this role okay. because I've been working on translating and contextualizing our material into Spanish and mm. into mm. Latino culture, which has been Really Mm -hmm. awesome. And also facing a lot of things that I didn't realize I had like in me of like, man, I really had problems with this, uh, with Mm -hmm. the Latino church or the Hispanic church Um, and being able to like identify some of the issues that I've had personally and not let that get in the way of my work has been really cool for me. To do. And so being able to work with pastors, talk about what formation looks like in their church, what do they need? How is it different than what a church somewhere else, Atlanta, needs that isn't primarily focused in serving Latinos or a diverse culture? So Mm -hmm. just wrapped up a cohort in Tijuana in the church that my grandfather started. Wow. And that was really cool. I co led that with my dad. And we did that completely in Spanish. And it was really exciting to see a lot of the leaders enter into these uncomfortable spaces, but really being formed by the different spiritual practices that we were inviting them into. So some of our listeners wouldn't really understand, you know, extreme Southern California geography. So, you know, when we say San Diego, we kind of know what we mean and incorporate North San Diego and the border and everything. So describe to people where you live and then like how far the border is away from you. I live in Southern San Diego. So I live in Chula Vista and the border is so close that my husband crosses the border every day to work. So it is about a maybe, maybe a 10 minute drive down into Tijuana. And then just for some further context, Restoration Abbey Mm -hmm. is about a 45-minute drive north from us. And so In what us Southern Californians call North County. Exactly. So they're in North County. 
we are just south of San Diego proper. Yeah. So we kind yeah. of go all around during the week. It was so cool to hear that you guys had just won, have just won an award for your guys' work on the border, that <laughs> surge that was happening a few months ago. Remind everybody what was happening and what you guys did and uh, what you won an award for. Yeah. Brag, this, brag for a little bit. I will. I'll brag and I'll brag on other people because yes. it was so weird, such a weird experience for me that I really wasn't involved in a lot of this, which is the mm. weirdest thing because it was right in literally my backyard. Yeah. Um, so when the expiration of Title 42 happened, a partner organization that we work with, Universidad Popular, called and said, hey, there's a bunch of people being left here at the border. They don't have food. They don't have blankets. They don't have anything. We need help. And literally just going to the border and um, Matthew and Alex, our rectors, just driving down and so many other people from the church and making sure people are fed, making sure people are getting their phones charged so that they can contact family. And then... Yeah, yeah, sorry to interrupt. Wasn't that one of the coolest things that somebody invented like this massive phone charger system? Yes. Oh, yes. wow. There was a generator and like strips oh. um, so that people could like charge their phones. And it's like, yeah. you could see the pictures and it's like a table of like a massive so that everyone could charge their phones at once. Yeah. Because when they first started, it was just like the little portable chargers. Yeah. And those are slow to charge and it could only be one or two depending on how many were available until yeah. someone like invented this giant charger for everybody to be able to do it at once. So we are an award-winning church, which we laugh about. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> we won the Smile Award, which is the San Marcos Innovation Leadership and Excellence Award for the work of just like stepping in and serving these people uh, mm-hmm. in a time of need. And actually, there's been another surge. And right now there has been about 30 people from the church that haven't been sleeping for the past a couple of weeks and are again serving people from all over the world and making sure that people are fed, have housing feel safe. And so, yeah, it's exciting work. And it's so surreal for me to not be hands-on because of various situations. Yeah, But yeah. knowing that it is a work that we're doing is I, yeah, I'm, I'm proud to brag on the, on the church. As you should be. That's so great. You know, you're simultaneously brokenhearted at what's happening, but I was so proud of what you guys are doing. So that's a fun story. Thanks for telling it. Yeah. So, Vanya, why don't you tell us a little bit more about the current journey you're on toward ordination? Is that correct? Are you in the process yes. of, okay, you know, you mentioned you come from a family of ministers. Um, I'm sure you were influenced, I think, you know, by, by your family or your experience. And, you know, you mentioned that you initially didn't want to be in ministry, but <laughs> you know how the Lord works. He just does what he does. So tell us about you know, what, what led up to this decision to begin the ordination process and kind of where you're at in that? Yeah. Um, my ordination process has been very long, but a lot of it started, uh, as you mentioned earlier, Todd, uh, Tony Barron, I worked yeah. with him for, for five years and just lunch conversations with him. It was like mm. a five year discernment process. <laughs> um, <laughs> with, and with Dr. Barron, that's exactly, <laughs> that's a story. Um, and just, uh, realizing that 
I didn't feel like there was another choice. I don't know how other way to describe it. Like I just felt happy and whole and satisfied when I was working in ministry. So finally, when I said, yes, okay, Lord, let's do it. um, I found out I was pregnant and I had struggled with chronic pain for a long, long time. Mm. And we were trying to discover with my doctors what was, what was wrong with me and we couldn't figure it out. And through my doctors, I found out that I had a rare genetic disorder called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. So my pregnancy instantly became a high-risk pregnancy. Um, So I stopped everything. I was like, I'm not going to go through the emotional process of ordination. I'm not going to go through and do a seminary or anything. And so I stopped. After my son was born, I said, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to start. I'm going to, I'm going to get ordained. And then I got pregnant with my daughter. And (laughs) so another high risk pregnancy. And so I had to stop. And then I just was like, you know what? And it must not be the Lord. Mm. (laughs) It must not be the Lord. And I sat at Restoration Abbey and just took some time to heal and rest and Mm. just hear from the Lord and hear surprisingly from the Lord, the same call to ministry that I had already given up on. Mm -hmm. So I finally started again. And now I'm just waiting for like some people to send a couple things and set a date and I will be ordained into transitional diaconate um, sometime in the next few months. Uh, Yeah. And I'm excited. I think this long journey to it has been good because I've been able to identify that I don't need to run from my heritage. I don't need to run from how God can use the fact that I am bilingual, the fact that I am bicultural, um, that I don't need to run or hide from the fact that I love working with kids. All these things that I fought against, um, Mm. I've been able to really enter into and find joy in the place and the person that God has made me into. So Vanya, I wanted to ask you about um, the blog that you wrote for C4SO's Hispanic Heritage Month. I think it was back in 2021. Uh, what I wish people knew about me as a Latina. And I, I love what you wrote. I thought it was so beautifully and eloquently written. And I, I feel like a lot of my own story uh, is reflected in your words too. you know, the tension that you describe mm. being both Mexican and American. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to take up too much of the time, but I, I had a, a similar experience to that. I mean, growing up all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really felt it when I went back to Argentina to study for a semester of theology at the mm-hmm. Bible Institute that my parents both went to, mm-hmm. like my family all went to this. It's kind of like a rite of passage. I only went for one semester. But I really enjoyed my time there. But to the to the Argentines there, this is in Buenos Aires, you know, they would ask upon meeting me like, oh, where are you from? And I'd be like, I was born here, actually. And they're like, "Okay, yeah, but where are you from? Because you don't look like us. You don't act like us. You know, there was something about me that looked and felt different. And then then it was this whole explanation. Well, okay, well, I moved to the States when I was four. So I've grown up in Florida and I've been there my whole life, but Mm -hmm. I am from Buenos Aires. So there's just like a lot of explaining to do there. You know, you talk a lot about using opportunities to create these two way streets between both of your cultures. So in your experience, how have you been able 
to take these points of tension? I think one of the things that has really helped me is to embrace the weirdness, Mm. (laughs) embrace the fact that I'm not going to fully fit into either of those cultures and celebrate that and say like, you know what? This is who I am and I can't change it. A lot of it was Mm -hmm. out of my control. Knowing who I am is, has something to contribute and to share. And I think embracing that for myself has allowed me to embrace and explore that in other people as well, because there Mm. is otherness and there's gaps that everybody finds themselves in for whatever reason, whether it's age, whether it's sex, whatever it is, there is tension of like, I don't quite fit here. And so being able to listen to people's stories and say like, I completely understand feeling like you don't quite fit. Tell me how that has been for you. So in the Mm, way that you just invited me to say like, how has that been for you giving space to people to say, yeah, I feel kind of awkward here and this is why. And then being able to celebrate the differences and know that it would be so boring for all of us to be exactly the same. And it would not be reflective of God. And so being able to say you are a reflection of God because of your story and because you are different and because of all those things that are in our minds negative, Mm -hmm. those are things to celebrate. I think that has helped me to build those two-way streets, to kind of call it out instead of hide it. In your own family, you know, I ask this because you're raising children, I'm Mm -hmm. raising children. How have you, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on how you've cultivated this appreciation for both of your cultures, even within your own family. And this is maybe more of a personal question because I, you know, I'm in this with you. How do you raise your children Uh, As Christians, right, you're raising them as believers, you're raising Mm -hmm. them to seek their identity in Christ, but also we raise them to understand their Latino heritage as well. So how has this played out in your family? Some of the things that we are doing is first is the language. I think that's super important for us. And we talk to them about all the benefits, especially my son now, who's, you know, in school, most of his friends friends speak English and he's like, he's starting to complain about speaking Spanish. And Mm. so being able to highlight like, this is a privilege and an honor that you have that's going to allow you to do so many more things than you can imagine right now. So giving him an imagination for what can happen. And we do like the simple things of like, hey, you know, you could get a job that someone else was not able to get because you speak Mm -hmm. two languages, but also like you can make someone feel seen that Uh, wouldn't have otherwise been felt seen. So showing them the treasure and the privilege that it Mm -hmm. is to have this. And then also saying, uh, when he asked, like, why do we need to speak Spanish? One of the things that my husband does a better job than I do um, highlighting is because we want you to communicate, be able to communicate with your grandparents and your great grandparents. Mm -hmm. So being able to... show them the importance of that intergenerational aspect of it as well. But I think it goes beyond just language because you can be bilingual and not bicultural. We tell them a lot because my son will say, you know, I'm American. Why do you guys say I'm Mexican American? And we, we highlight that, like Mm -hmm. we are Mexican American. Like there is privilege in that. There is hardship in that, but there is a joy that comes through that. And so we celebrate Mexican holidays. We celebrate, 
American holidays. Like we celebrate yeah. it all. It's probably because I like parties. Mm-hmm. And so it's more fun that way. It's yeah. more fun. Love it. Uh, but like not minimizing any part of it. Like we had a dance mm. party for the 21st night of September and we danced to, <laughs> uh, to that song. And that's so American. Like all of our Mexican friends would be like, that's horrible. But then also like celebrating Mexican independence day and dressing up like a chavo and making sure that you are willing to eat foods that most people would be mm. grossed out by, but just introducing it as part of life because that's what it is for us. It's not yeah. anything right, right. strange. It's not anything new. And so how we go about doing it, I don't know that we have a specific like tactic. We just right. live life involving everything. And I would like to add, I think talking through when someone like talk, like my son took crickets to school to snack on. And he's like, kids were saying these were gross. And so being Mm -hmm. able to talk through, Hey, how did it feel when they said that this was gross? Like, Mm -hmm. what do you think about them? Did you enjoy sharing them with your friends? And so making sure that we leave room for saying, yeah, it kind of sucks when people tell you this Mm -hmm. is gross when it's something that you like. But then again, there are all sorts of things that people are going to comment on no matter what your culture. And so just being sure that there's space to process the negative feelings that come when someone talks down upon something that you enjoy. Vanya, we've asked our other guests in Hispanic Heritage Month this question, and I'd love to get your take on it. How do you suppose these months that we now celebrate throughout the year can be something more than just social, you know, political correctness, or even worse, uh, mere virtue signaling? How do you experience these as a Mexican American, and and what like what positive role do you think they can play in our culture? Yeah, that's a hard question for me because I never really viewed it as positive until recently. I'm oh, okay. like, it, okay. it's just something that that people want to do for political reasons or positioning reasons. It's something yeah. that I yeah. saw as for a long time. Like, did it feel token or something? It like, does. Yeah, yeah. It not it does. It did. Or it can, yeah. I guess, at still yeah. at times. Sure, yeah. It yeah. definitely does feel like, oh, it's Hispanic Heritage Month and slap on a T-shirt like you got at Target and mm-hmm. like keep going. That's it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But yeah. I think when there's space for conversation and mm. there's space for hearing stories is when it becomes more significant. Yeah. I think that when you assume people's stories – is when it becomes problematic. When you assume people's position, it's when Mm. it becomes problematic. And so being able to give the space for people to share experiences and share their story of what does it mean for you as a person that identifies as Hispanic or Latino or whatever it is that you're identifying as, it allows room for it to be significant and build community. Because Mm. if it's just on a pedestal or if it's just behind a glass, it becomes like a zoo where you come by like, oh, look, that's interesting. And you keep walking. But when there's space to enter into conversation and space to create community, it becomes something significant and not just something that you pass by, observe, ooh and ah at, and then keep going. So carrying on that conversation, Vanya, into C4SO, what would you say to us, um, like, how could we be better at interacting with Mexican-Americans? Do it. 
Mm. <laughs> um, just, Nike, just do it. Just, just do, it. do it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess it's it's like this. Like for a lot of Latino Americans, we are subconsciously taught to just fit into the American culture. Mm. And so yeah. being able to first try to identify who, who, who are these people? Who are my Mexican Americans or Latino Americans yeah. um, mm-hmm. that I haven't been able to identify? Because I think that even if someone doesn't speak the language, there's so much richness there. Right. Um, and so being able to hear the, the story. So I think creating space for us to speak, for us mm-hmm. to uh, be able to tell our stories And not only to be heard, but also for us to have a seat at the table, which I think C4SO does, but not a seat at the table because of our heritage, but because of just what we as people can bring to the table. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I strongly agree. Thank you. No, definitely. As the kingdom of God, I think it's important that Mm -hmm. we make space for Christians you know, who don't come from a similar cultural background as us. I think we are better for it. And it was always meant to be that way, right? Exactly. We're always meant to be in community with one another. Um, I think, yeah, the unity of the body of Christ. That includes every nation, every tribe and tongue. So I love that. And Vanya, based on what you've seen and what you've experienced, what would you say is something that the church and, and, you know, we're thinking like the Western church or American churches. Mm-hmm. What are some things about Hispanic Christian spirituality that you think can contribute to the Western church? Yeah, I think I've actually been thinking about this a lot as I try to contextualize the material. Uh, yeah, your work for Fuller. Yeah, yeah. my work for Fuller. So as I try to think about that, one of the one of the ones that has really been highlighted for me is the practice of hospitality. And I thought about, man, I think we're really good at practicing Mm. hospitality. I think Mm -hmm. that that's something that a lot of uh, people can learn from us of how we just like welcome people in and you're part of the family. Like the mom walks in is like, mijito, like you're already like their Mm -hmm. child. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so being able to offer this like no barrier hospitality and just giving everything over to to the people that are coming in to your space. Mm. I think that's one of the things that's really been highlighted for me of man, how do we tell the Hispanic church to practice hospitality when it just comes so naturally? It's part of our culture, which I'm actually kind of thinking about flipping on its head. Um, for this is just like an inst- like kind of a separate answer, um, but I'm thinking that as Hispanics we need to practice receiving hospitality and have um, a humble yeah. position of receiving. Mm. Um, yeah, and so see this kind of that two way street thing of like sure, one yeah. learns how to be hospitable and the other one learns how to receive hospitality. And Mm -hmm. so I think that's the one thing that I feel has been really highlighted for me recently Mm -hmm. of how to be, what it means to be hospitable, how to be hospitable and what it means to welcome somebody in that's different 
what it means to welcome somebody in that's not part of your family and making sure that they feel right at home. Like it's their mm-hmm. mom serving yeah. them the right. bowl of soup or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Vanya. We have a little tradition here at the C4SO podcast to finish with uh, these two questions. You know, we could take five minutes and list all the terrible problems in the world and it's just depressing. So we won't do it. Um, so in this, these troubled days that we're living in, what or who is giving you hope? Mm-hmm. I think friends. Uh, friends are yeah. a new thing for me, which is weird uh, <laughs> to say. I have um, spent the last few years really being willing to guess, receive that hospitality from friends. Mm-hmm. And re- so relationships that are really able to walk through sorrow mm. and celebrate through joy and yeah. being able to identify who those people are in my life has brought me hope. <laughs> There's There are yeah. good people in this world. And then lastly, um, who inspires you? So it could be a thinker, it could be a practitioner, it could just be somebody in your life. Who would be a source of inspiration for you these days and why? Yes, I have a strange answer for this just because I like to embrace the weirdness. Yes, let's hear it. <laughs> um, my son inspires me. Oh. Uh, I'm going to get a little teary about this. It's I did okay. not expect that. Um, the way that he looks at the world with wonder mm. and that he is willing unknowingly to ask the hard questions. Mm -hmm. He wants to know more about everything. And he just inspires me to be freer. He inspires me to not be afraid to ask the questions. He -hmm. inspires me to explore. He inspires me to say yes. He inspires me to say no, (laughs) because Mm -hmm. he will tell me, mom, uh, your time to work is over now. Oh, and <laughs> that's very oh, wow. important. Wow. Yes. Good for him. Yeah. So he really inspires me to be not only a better mother, but just a better person uh, overall and to not be afraid to enter into hard conversations and really mm. sit and think through and explore together and wonder together. I love it. It's really lovely. Yeah. Thank you. Well, Vanya, thank you. And Mickey, it's been fun for me to be on this Latina podcast. (laughs) This is strongly Latina today and it's been so much fun. Thank you both. Thank you, Vanya. This has been awesome. Thank you guys both for having me. Or should I say muchas gracias? Muchas gracias. Yes. (laughs) Gracias. Amen, sisters. Thanks so much for tuning in to the C4SO podcast. If you like what you heard, please feel free to share this episode and subscribe and leave a review. It helps us to get the word out. Thanks.